The Eagle and Child, episode 34, After Hours with Justin Wiggins. Hello, and welcome to The Eagle and Child, the hallowed pub of the Inklings. Normally, I'm here with my co-host Matt, discussing a chapter of mere Christianity. However, today's episode is going to be a little different. Welcome to The Eagle and Child, After Hours. In these episodes, I'm going to be interviewing C.S. Lewis authors and enthusiasts about something that they've written or perhaps a particular aspect of Lewis's writings which they really enjoy. So, in a sense, it's going to be very similar to our more regular episodes on this podcast. It's going to be two C.S. Lewis geeks sitting down, sharing a drink, and nerding out about some aspect of their favorite author. I'm reminded of something that Jack wrote in The Four Loves. He spoke about arriving in a pub after a long day of walking. He says, when our slippers are on, our feet spread out towards the blaze, and our drinks are at our elbows, when the whole world, and something beyond the world, opens itself to our minds as we talk. So that's what I'm really hoping is going to be happening in this conversation. And today I'm going to be speaking with Justin Williams from North Carolina, and he's recently published his book, Surprised by Agape. Justin, welcome to The Eagle and Child. Thank you, David. I am glad to be part of your podcast, my friend. Great to have you here. I was actually trying to remember earlier how we first met. Was it just one of the many online C.S. Lewis groups that we're both part of? Yes, I think it was the official C.S. Lewis group. I think I had seen you post a link to your podcast or perhaps another friend had referenced it. So, yes, it's it's always um, interesting to see how you connect with different people through the group. And I think you had just gone on your trip to Oxford and were posting lots of pictures of, of my home. <laughs> Not quite Oxford, but I visited there and I visited the Eagle and Child and a lot of those sites looked really familiar. Yes, that trip was absolutely amazing and life-changing. It was actually, comically enough, it was my first time flying. <laughs> and so we went from Asheville to Atlanta, Georgia, and then to Heathrow in London, and then took a bus from London to Oxford. The first few seconds of the flight were absolutely terrifying, <laughs> but the rest of the flight was absolutely exhilarating. And I will always remember that trip for the rest of my life. It, we had an itinerary, and my friend and C.S. Lewis scholar, Dr. Don King, led it. He allows this trip to happen, I would say, every year and a half through Montreat College. And on this trip, it was him, his wife, Mrs. King, myself, and four other students that were friends. And we each had to pick a particular theme for a research paper for Lewis's writings. And it was also a sort of, a, I guess you could put it in this way, it could be a sort of a, it was a sort of a holiday in a way, getting to see places like the Eagle and Child Pub and Modlin College, the Kilns, the Trout Pub, the Lamb and Flag Pub, St. Mary the Virgin's Church, Addison's Walk, and um, Christ Church Cathedral Merton College, where Tolkien was for a number of years, it was just absolutely overwhelming um, in a in a good sense, you know. It, and for me, it certainly did arouse that joy that was central to Lewis's writings. I'm still processing that trip today. I would say the highlight of the trip for me was 
interestingly enough, it was the day before we were going to fly out, and it was a beautiful, cold, snowy St. Patrick's Day, <laughs> and I was able to finally meet my Scottish friend, whose name is David Jack, mm-hmm. and his wife Jessica Jack, and their wee boy Evan, and David and I, we went to the Eagle and Child Pub, and Waterstone Bookstore, and we had dinner with his family at the Mitre Inn that night. And David endorsed Surprise by Agape, which I was very thankful for. I've gladly supported his translations of George MacDonald's books that he does. He's part of the George MacDonald Society group, and they have done a really great job with translating the Scots language into English and bringing these novels back. Because, of course, if if you if you're not Scottish, then it's quite difficult <laughs> to, you know, it's kind of like trying to translate Egyptian hieroglyphics into English or something like that. So sorry if I digress, but yes, the, the highlight for me on the trip was getting to spend a beautiful, cold, snowy St. Patrick's Day with David, and he's a very good friend. So that trip was absolutely amazing. I will always remember that. And for me, it was really special too, because it was my last semester at Montreat College right before I graduated with my bachelor's in English literature. And it was actually a couple of months after that. Mr. Grant Hudson is the gentleman's name. He's the president and founder of Clarendon House Publications in Sheffield, England. Mm-hmm. And he saw a I would I would reference Surprise by Agape sometimes on uh, Facebook and I had a little draft form of the book published for a creative project for Don King's C.S. Lewis class that I took about a year and a half ago. And Grant saw it and he sent me an email and said he sounded interested in it. And I sent him the manuscript and he offered the contract, which was absolutely amazing. You know, I never thought it would be published until I was in my, I don't know, 40s or, or 50s. And the way it came together having Don endorse it, David Jack endorse it, and a, another friend endorsed it. Um, her name is Miss Carolyn Curtis, and she edited a book called Women in C.S. Lewis, which you may have heard of, and it was an honor to have her endorse it as well. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about the book itself. Uh, you open up by sharing your own personal journey of faith and the part that C.S. Lewis had to play in that journey. Would you mind recapping that a little bit for the listeners? Oh, yes, sure. So interestingly enough, um, growing up, I never actually remember hearing Lewis's name. And how it started for me was through music in particular. It was through the musician John Foreman, who's the lead singer of Switchfoot. And (laughs) when I started listening to their music, I found it very honest and very creative. They seemed to um, not get caught up in not to not, you know, Christian contemporary music and that sort of thing. Um, they seem to, to not box in their music. And they have this quote where they say, we make music for thinking people. And they didn't see any, any um, like a sacred, secular, either or. And mm-hmm. so for me, that was really refreshing to, to hear their music. And um, I loved their honest lyrics and how they really lived out their faith. And so that was really important for me in understanding how universal um, different artistic mediums are. And 
um, I remember very vividly that uh, John referenced C.S. Lewis many times, and it was in particular the song This Is Home that they wrote for the Prince Caspian movie. And I had no idea who Lewis was, and so I thought, well, if John is referencing this writer so much, then I should check him out. And I was actually still an agnostic at this time, even though I, I grew up in the church. And um, the first book that I, well, series of books that I read by Lewis was the Chronicles of Narnia. And it, in particular, it was The Magician's Nephew. That oh, you read them in chronological order. We oh, yeah. we can no longer be friends on Facebook. Oh, <laughs> this 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 was great for a little while, but I think it's over. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And so when I read the creation story in the magician's nephew, it was my first experience of the transcendent. I I liken it to Lewis's reading of George MacDonald's Fantast when he was uh you know he he's a young atheist and picks it up by accident and you know, as you know he said it baptized his imagination mm-hmm. and from that point on he read i don't know if he read everything by mcdonald but he read most of his books and you know he called him his master and said that everything that he wrote was influenced by mcdonald so i liken that experience to lewis's reading of fantast and also when i read the creation story I finally understood why myth and storytelling is so important to different cultures and, you know, from to us from the beginning, you know, you got cave paintings in France and oral tradition and then things started start getting written down. And I also finally understood why Jesus told parables in the first century to communicate things about the kingdom of heaven in a way where anyone could understand that. So it's like, here you have the creator walking around in the first century and telling these really powerful parables to the freaks and the outcasts, the sinners, the poor and the broken. Yes, that idea of art and beauty is something that cuts through to the heart. I mean, Lewis even said of his, of his own books, when you speak through, through literature, through fiction, it can get past those watchful dragons Yes. Switchfoot was one of the groups that I, that I listened to a lot when my faith really came alive. And I went and dug out my favorite song, and it was meant to live. Oh, and yeah. And I looked at the lyrics today, and it's like, oh, my goodness, this is Lewis's argument from desire. He said, <laughs> we, we were meant to live for so much more. We're, we want more than this world's got to offer, and everything inside screams for second life. Yes. That, that, that's, that's basically a paraphrase of your opening quotation in the book. Uh, if it, I find in myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. What an amazing quote. That's my favorite. Out of all the Lewis quotes, as, and as you know, there are so many good ones, that for me really captures the, the yearning and longing that we have to be with Christ in heaven. We're experiencing the tension of, of pain, but also the beauty and joy of life. And that quote for me just captures that in such a powerful way. And as you were saying, it correlates to Lewis's argument for desire. So when we left off the story, you had started listening to Switchfoot. They had referenced Lewis and you had started reading Lewis. 
where did you go from there? Ah, so after I had read the Narnia books, I got a copy of Mere Christianity, and I had to take my time with it because I had not read much philosophy or theology, books on spirituality, and so I took my time with it. The way he brought together reason and imagination and faith and personal experience was so unique, and I loved how he didn't write from a particular denominational perspective, even as you know, he was um, Anglican. He wrote as a mere Christian, and I really appreciated how he stated that in the forward. And I, I found his argument for a transcendent moral law that cuts across time and culture. I get, or I guess you could say, the Tao. That's in the abolition of man. Yeah, yeah, great, great book. Uh, very powerful, very prophetic. So I found his argument for the the moral law really convincing. I found his argument for. Jesus being the same Jesus of faith and history, really compelling. But and as you know, that the Lewis Trilemma, as it is called, is I found that very powerful. And and as you know, the way he writes about the theological virtues of faith and hope and love and uh, sexuality in the context of the Christian worldview and prayer and the Trinity, it was just revolutionary for me. And that book changed my life. And I remember it was a very gradual conversion. I was, wasn't was an angry agnostic. I just had a lot of questions, and I was searching. I have a very strong emotional attachment to that book. In fact, I've just recently reread it after a few years, and it reminded me of when I first read it and what that was like and why it has meant so much to me. And, and as you know, to so many people, that, that book will be one of the most important works of Christian apologetics ever ever written. Oh, absolutely. It was instrumental in my co-host's conversion. And uh, don't, don't worry about taking your time with that book. Matt and I have been working through it chapter by chapter. We are nearly at the year mark, but we're nearly done. <laughs> yes, and I've, I've enjoyed um, listening to your, your podcast on it. It's been a very, a very helpful for me, as you know, with hearing different people's experience of reading it is really interesting. So you read Mere Christianity. Did that take you home? Would you now call yourself a Christian at the end of it? Yes. Um, I found other worldviews, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, the ancient pagan religions. I found them all really interesting, but I didn't find anything more compelling than Christ. And he was no longer this figure on the verge of legend, and maybe he was a historical person. I finally came to a place of surrender where I knew that I was a broken sinner and that I needed grace. And I marveled at how Christ drew me to himself through music and through Lewis's writings. And I didn't anticipate my whole worldview changing. That was the work of the Holy <laughs> Spirit. And in the book, I tried to add a bit of comedy and with the line where I said it changed my brain chemistry. <laughs> well, Lewis in Mere Christianity, he, he emphasizes that when you come to Jesus, he's not just going to patch you up and make you a bit better. The whole being is going to get a transformation. So at that point, you became a Christian. Where did you go? Where did you take you know, this love of Lewis? Ah, so at that point, I was living in Winter, Winterville, North Carolina. 
and I was start just starting community college and I would pick up anything by Lewis that I could get my hands on, whether it was his literary criticism, his fiction, his poetry, his letters, and the other theological works that he wrote. I just could not get enough of it. And I was profoundly moved by them all. And I started writing and Lewis helped me find my voice as a writer. And one of the most important things that he taught me was that when you write, you don't want to imitate favorite writers that you admire. You want to build off of them and write in your own voice. And he helped me to understand that. And he led me to J.R.R. Tolkien's work and G.K. Chesterton, as you know, great Catholic writers, just absolutely incredible. George MacDonald. And I just was discovering this whole new world and all of these different writers helped me find my voice and I knew at that point that I wanted to pursue literature and writing as my vocation. And where did that take you? So I graduated from Pitt Community College and I got accepted in the East Carolina University and I knew that I wanted to teach and um, and just continue to write and to see where that would lead. My experience at ECU at first was very good. I, I had a great community of friends. I was in a good place in my life, but things took a, a drastic turn my second semester there, which I tried to capture what that experience was like in Surprise by Agape. And how did things turn around after that? So, um, I'll try to make this as, as brief as possible because it is kind of a long story. So, Well, we still want people to go and get the book. That's some real work. So what had happened was years and years and years of father abandonment issues that were suppressed came out full force my second semester there. And I was struggling with stress that semester with trying to keep up with my classes and trying to figure out what I was going to do after I graduated with my bachelor's, which, as you know, a lot, many people face that, you know, what kind of job am I going to get? You know, where am I going to move? Am I going to get a graduate score? Am I going to take a break? That sort of thing. And so that season of depression was the most terrific ad I had ever been through before I had, you know, experienced normal lows, a thing that people go through. But this was different and it was very intense. I got to a point where I actually uh, I found that I couldn't function. I had a bizarre sleeping pattern and I wasn't able to, I wasn't going to classes and I would do well, but I would just sink back. And at that point, I didn't reject what I believed about the creator being a good and, and loving father to his children. But I seriously did question why I was going through it and what the purpose was in it. I got to such a horrific low that um, I ha actually um, experienced two suicide attempts and two hospitalizations. And of course, it's not easy to talk about and it wasn't easy to write about. But I, as I have found, it's good to be honest about your journey because you're able to help other people who have maybe experienced similar things. And it's just good for believers to be honest about their journey and how Christ has redeemed those things and how he has sustained them. So that was quite horrific. And so um, 
after the attempts and the two hospitalizations, I flopped out of VCU, didn't finish, and I uh, found a joy in doing barista work. And it was really good, so I did barista jobs for about, uh, I would say, four to five years. Things took a really great turn that I actually didn't see coming when I was invited to a C.S. Lewis Inklings retreat in Montreat, North Carolina at Montreat College. And I had never heard of it before. I'd never even heard of Black Mountain. I had heard of Asheville. So I went to the conference and it was absolutely incredible. There I met Don King and Colin Durier was actually the special guest that year. As you know, he's written some really great biographies on Lewis. And it was an honor and utter delight to get to meet him. So through Don's influence, I started meeting these different people within the Lewis and Tolkien community. And I stayed in touch with Don. And about a year after that, I felt stuck with where I was at. And I just got tired of simply just talking about going back to college. And I finally did something about it. And so I applied to Montreat College and I got in. I marvel at the experiences that I had when I went there. I'll give a few examples, and I tried to write about that in the book at, to show how out of all the suffering and the trauma and the pain from the few years prior to that came so much joy and beauty, and I uh, found ama- an amazing community and just had experiences that I I marvel at. It's just, it's incredible. It's certainly a all of it's because of the, the grace of Christ. And so I came to Montreat. Uh, I would meet people at coffee shops and pubs and through uh, my church community. And through Don, I was I had the honor to meet uh, C.S. Lewis's stepson, Douglas Gresham, in Black Mountain. He, he came for a conference at, it's called Created Institute. And uh, my friend Kevin Jensen is the co-director of it. It was an amazing conference. It was an absolute honor to get to hear Douglas lecture about the love that he saw between Lewis and his mother, Joy Davidman, and how brilliant she was. As you know, she's a brilliant writer in her own right. Her poetry is amazing. Her her book, Smoke on the Mountain, which I've read, is amazing. And he was he was brilliant and very funny and very blunt, uh, very charming. Had a, had a, He has an interesting accent. You can hear a bit of... Uh, it's a bit of a British, a mix between a uh, a British and an Australian accent. It's just really interesting. Yeah, he's lived all over the place. Oh, yes. So after you tell your story in the book, you then address two particular topics. One is the title of the book, the, the Agape in Surprise by Agape, and joy. Two of the fundamental topics that Lewis returns to again and again in each of his books. Would you mind just giving us a little bit of an, little bit of an introduction as to what Lewis understood by agape, what he understood by joy, and how this came across in his writings? Yes. So the Greek word agape is my favorite word out of any language, and I actually got it as a tattoo on my right wrist as an important reminder of how the agape love of Christ sustained me. And so, as, well, as you can see from the title, I sort of stole from Lewis's Surprise by Joy, but he got that from a poem by William Wordsworth. When I started reading Lewis and had my conversion, I saw the theme of agape love in his writings. Well, really, you can see it in all of them, 
one in particular is the four loves and in that book as you know he writes about the the four greek words for love eros romantic love philia friendship storge for affection and uh charity or uh, agape love he writes so poignantly uh, about them all in the context of how they're they all reflect the beauty and goodness of the creator and agape love in his own life it's it's really really powerful how he lived it out so i'll give a, a few numerous examples from uh that i tried to include in the book um one is the fact that most of the money that he made went to widows and orphans um through a uh fund that i think uh yeah, Owen Barfield created it. It was called the Agape Fund. And um, it's just, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's amazing. And I really admired Lewis for that. Another example is actually she's still alive. You, you may be familiar with the story, but uh, her name is Jill Freud, and she went to live at the Kilns when England was being bombed in World War II. She had a passion for acting, and she worked at the Kims and met Warney and Lewis and Mrs. Moore. She really admired his character and she had read the screw tape letters and a few of his other books and really admired his character. And she was very poor and didn't have enough money to go to, I think I can't remember the name of the school. I think it's in London Royal Academy of acting. I'm, I'm probably getting that wrong, but, um, Lewis paid for her to be able to go, and that, to me, speaks volumes about his character. And and also what I tried to include in the book about how the agape love of Christ just completely transformed his life. And as you know, there's there's an element of comedy in his conversion, and another book is in Surprised by Joy of how he tries to capture how he was so reluctant. He did not want, you know— Christianity to be true. He he didn't want anyone to interfere in his life. Through all of his thinking and writing and his reluctance after many, many years, the intellectual questions and the philosophical questions and historical questions, they all had their place in his coming to faith. But really, it was that agape love that would not let him go I'm, here i'm going to borrow from uh the great poet francis thompson that wrote the hound of heaven and i think lewis even references uh god as the sort of the hound of heaven that wouldn't leave him alone and um and the other book that i included when i was exploring the theme of agape love in his writings was mere christianity and really at the center of that book is the agape love of christ so that was agape, and uh, you then spend the rest of the book talking about joy. You look at, in Surprised by Joy, The Weight of Glory, Perilandra, and Till We Have Faces. The German word is Zenzuk. He called it joy. It's really at the center of who he was. Take The Way of Glory, for example, in that sermon he, that he gave at St. Mary the Virgins in, I think the year was 1941, and of course, it was a absolutely incredible getting to actually see it in, in person. And I, I made sure to read the way of glory there. But in that sermon, he critiques the 
view that joy and yearning and longing is just romanticism or just the chemical reaction going on in the body. And he rejects that and describes why there are so many myths and legends, how in particular for him, the beauty of the landscapes of Ireland and England and the Norse and the Celtic myths and the works of George MacDonald and Beatrix Potter and William Morris and the art, the illustrations of the twilight of the of the gods how he how for him that roused that yearning and longing was really at the center of his life and of course, as you know, he finally comes to the conclusion that it led to an object and that was to the the person of Christ. So for me, the second book that for me was one of the most exciting to write about is Paralandra, which just as a personal preference, I believe is his greatest work of fiction, though, you know, he thought that Till We Have Faces was his greatest work of fiction. And it is a very unique work. Um, But for me, Paralandra is so powerful because he gives you a glimpse of what the new Jerusalem might perhaps be like ransom experiences that yearning and longing when he finds himself in venus uh, or perlandra for him it's the landscape that that rouses it to me it lewis's prose and that is so powerful and the way he brings together all these elements from greek and norse and celtic mythology and bringing it together with christian themes i don't want to say allegory because as you know he not allegory (laughs) yes as you know he blatantly said it wasn't his retelling of the genesis story set on the planet venus i i've reread that book so many times it's my favorite work of his fiction and and how he captures that universal longing that you see in all these different cultures and um, all behind all the myths, the longing is fulfilled in the person of Christ. For me, that was true to my own journey. As I had said, my first experience of that joy was when I read the creation story in the magician's nephew. And of course, I didn't know what was going on. I just knew it was this really powerful experience that I could not describe in logic. The numinous Lewis borrowed that from Rudolf Otto's book, The Idea of the Holy, and it's this universal sense of all at the universe and the idea that perhaps there is a creator that brought everything in, into being. And you see it in all of Lewis's fiction. Aslan in the Narnia books is the beaver said he's not a tame lion, but he's good. And when you read the books, you get the sense of this awe and wonder at his character. And you see it also in um, the character of Psyche until we have faces when she has the mystical experience with the god Cupid. And she's trying to describe it to Oriole, who's <laughs> telling her she's completely deluded that there's this yearning and longing. And she wants to try to find the place where all the beauty came from. And so for me, that that yearning and longing certainly played a huge role in my conversion because the the music and the the movies and the the landscape of North Carolina reading the creation story in the magician's nephew and 
uh, even the season of fall, which is my favorite season, all of these things rouse this yearning and longing. I knew that it just wasn't a, a chemical reaction going on in, in the brain as, as you can't explain love empirically or friendship. You know, the most important things in life, it doesn't fit into a scientific materialistic box. And as you know, it's it's Lewis's argument from desire. So he just he did such a powerful job of conveying that in so many of his books. And I really wanted to try to capture that in surprised by agape from my personal experience wonderful and so what's next for you what's next on the horizon so i am currently working as a librarian assistant at montreat college um i'm also working part-time as a barista it seems like the barista jobs won't ever leave me perhaps i'll be doing it in the afterlife (laughs) part of the daily grind Yes, yes. So for now, um, I'm thankful for both jobs, and I'm really thankful to be living here in the mountains of North Carolina. It's, it's. I, um, many of the faculty at Montreal College are are very good friends, and the the surprise by Agape is doing very well, and I'm very thankful having this podcast interview is is of course an honor, and I appreciate you you doing that. I'm planning a a couple of book signings, and I want them to be fun, and I'm really thankful for the people that have expressed interest in reading Surprised by Agape, and I wrote it, as I stated in the introduction, for people of all worldviews to be able to read and and resonate with in the context of their own experience, and all the glory to to Christ. That's the main reason why I wrote it, was expressing gratitude to him because of how good and and loving he has been to me in, in my life, hence Surprised by Agape. But for now, my plan is to work and save up for going, hopefully, if all works out, going to Oxford Brooks University next fall. If I work really hard towards it and make sure I have enough for the you know, plane ticket and student visa and, and deposit, um, I really hope to be there. My My goal is to live and work and study and Oxford, England for for many years to come. I I really hope to live and work in where Lewis and and Tolkien and Charles Williams were for many years of their lives. Well, I always like to be very encouraging of any Americans who want to return to the British Empire. So uh, (laughs) I congratulate you on your decision. Yes, I am one of those, sir. I am an Anglophile. Well, this has been wonderful, and thank you again for speaking to us here. Uh, I'll put links to everything that we've talked about in the show notes. And if listeners out there would like more of these kinds of episodes, please let me know either on the website, restlesspilgrim.net, Twitter, and Instagram at Pints with Jack. And speaking of Twitter, I'm going to be giving away a copy of Justin's book to the first person who tweets my account, at Pints with Jack, with the English translation of the Greek word used in Justin's book, agape. So, first person that tweets me the English translation will get a free copy of Justin's book. And Justin, we have a tradition on this show to cheers out. So, further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers.